everybody thinks it's fake and everybody thinks it's gone away. And I feel like we're seeing that even in the short midterm right now. Like people are writing it off. Oh, see, it's not that big a deal. And then the honey badger's still alive, dude. This thing's a possum. <laughs> it's a cockroach. You can't stomp this thing out, man. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. What is up, friends? Glad you're here to join us. It's been an eventful couple weeks in Bitcoin. And in this episode, Josh and I cover a myriad of topics. We talk about important Bitcoin tweets, El Salvador deciding to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, the implications of nation states getting involved in Bitcoin, Jack Dorsey, Michael Saylor, possums, and much more. Get comfortable because here we go. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Josh, it's been a while, my friend. There's a lot of there's a lot of pent up energy on this side. Like you get me away from you for like a week. And I just, just a bottled up amount of energy. I just want to get it out and talk about Bitcoin. Man, I, I know. I feel it on this end too. Yeah. Just, you know, regressed energy, just mm. waiting to bubble up. Mm, Got to get it out. It's been an eventful, it's been an eventful few weeks, man. It feels like in Bitcoin, especially when you're in, I guess we're still calling this a bull market. I think it still is, but it's it's uh it's been an interesting six months, and it feels like every week major stuff's happening. But we the Bitcoin conference just ended in Miami. I think there was a lot of activity on tweet, uh, Twitter, and thought leaders have been super active, and it's it's been an interesting couple weeks. I've been watching that from the outside through the window, just wishing I was there. It looked like a blast. I mean, there was a dumpster full of Venezuelan cash. <laughs> there was a, I don't actually, I didn't see any videos of this or anything. I heard there was going to be a helicopter dumping, dumping Venezuelan money on the streets. I hope that happened. I didn't hear about it. So maybe it didn't. Russell O'Kong had giant billboards saying Elon stick to space driving around Miami. It's, it seemed like a great time. Nobody was wearing a mask. I didn't see a single person wearing a mask. They said people were, uh, you know, smiling, hugging and shaking hands, which is so alien to us these days. How dare they? Sounds like a normal. I know. They, their Karens of the world had to be beside themselves with fury watching these people infect each other with the coronavirus. How, How dare they? Dare they? 2022, man. Blue collar Bitcoin. You heard it here. We're going to be there. I think maybe we'll MC. I'm thinking that's probably a good, a good uh, target for us at this point. Yeah. I mean, McCormick did a great job. This year, Josh, like hats off to him. But I, I think it's kind of ours to lose for 2022, just in terms of where this podcast is headed and the, and the just tremendous listenership we have at this point. I can't imagine they're not going to offer it to us. I'm pretty sure, you know, just short of us, you know, sending off some racial slur or epithet, we're, we got it. You know, we just, we just can't, we just got to watch what we say. Shoe in. Uh, I'm going to kick us off here. Did you see what Trump? said 
today? <laughs> I think it was today. He, he, uh, today. It might have been yesterday. I did you just before you get into what he said because I, I think I know what you're talking about. But did you so did you see that he was wearing his pants backwards? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yes, what? he was. Dude, look this up. He was wearing his fucking pants. I'm looking backwards. up right now. <laughs> he didn't. So somebody noticed he wasn't. There was no zipper in the front of his. Uh, I don't know, suit pants. And they're like, what is going on? And there were no, <laughs> he, he had, it looked like he was wearing like women's pants or he had his pants on backwards. <laughs> so, Look it up. I'm seeing actually Trump was not wearing his pants backward, oh, but it sounds it like then? he must have, he must, hold on, I'm looking the picture up right now. <laughs> awesome. It was so funny. It looks like they were like all, it looked like he slept in them or something too. They're all wrinkled up. The, the awesome thing about this, so this is a, a tweet from uh, Bitcoin Magazine. They said, with his comments, Trump showed his understanding of Bitcoin for what it is, a currency that obsoletes all other money, hence his fear that the dollar could lose its world reserve currency status. Basically, what, what I understand, I read quickly what Trump said. He said he doesn't like Bitcoin because it's a threat to the US dollar, which is... True. <laughs> it's, hilarious. It's, it's like, a, a you're like, wait, 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 wait. So... You don't like this because it competes with the reserve currency of the entire world. Uh, yeah, that okay. Seems like, I mean, uh, it, it's kind of a flashing bright orange sun saying like, this is world changing. Come by me. Yeah. What is the old saying? First, they ignore you. Then they attack you. Uh, then you win. I missed one of them there, but yeah, it's something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, the fact that an ex-president is on record saying that he thinks this thing threatens dollar hegemony is it brings chills up your spine. It really does. Because it incredible. does. I mean, that's exactly what Bitcoin's up to. He he made a couple of comments about Bitcoin when he was in office and all negative. So, I mean, clearly he understands that, you know, it's a threat in some manner and continues to think it that way. And he's a clown, but, you know, I, I think he, he understands backwards. things well enough wearing pants backwards. And he, I think he had like 15,000. He, he created a new blog because he can't be on Twitter anymore. And there were only like 15,000 visits to his website in a month. <laughs> like, yeah, he's just grasping, man. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad downward spiral to watch. Did you see uh, that Sailor is doing another funding round, another bond round for $400 million? So this is, a, so this is an unknown guy on Twitter. He just had a good take on it. Dylan LeClaire, Sailor and MicroStrategy are raising another $400 million via secured debt offering. We'll probably end up paying near 0% interest on that. It's a BTC call option with an expiry seven years away, payable in fiat units guaranteed to debase. Will Bitcoin be greater than 36 k in 2028? It's just math, folks. I, I, I saw Preston Pish tweeted about this too. He said, Michael, please tell me this is going to have a negative interest rate like I suggested back in 2020. <laughs> Can you imagine if this had a negative yield? That would be amazing. And he could get away with it. He could I get think he, could, he could get money for sure yeah. with a negative yield. I mean, Pish isn't kidding around. Sailor is the guy is Dude, savage. He's, savage. He's, a he's, he's got so he's got over if I if I remember right, he's got over 90,000 90, bitcoin. I think so he's approaching 100,000 bitcoin. I mean, with another four hundred million tossed into the barrel, like what do they get them? Let's do the quick calculation here. I don't, I don't even have a calculator big enough to run that number on, but it's a lot of Bitcoin. He's going to have well over a hundred k with that kind of number tossed at it. The guy just doesn't flinch, Josh, whatsoever. When I first 
like heard I've never heard about this guy before, like September of last year. And the way I don't know if you ever saw this, Dan, but one of his tweets was brought up back then from 2013 when he first heard about Bitcoin and he immediately dismissed it as nonsense. And then so fast forward from 2013 to 2020. And then you listen to some of the like podcasts he was on right after he made that initial buy. And he was talking about how, you know, the money printer basically changed his mind and he realized the network effects and all on and on. Everything we talk about is the reason that Bitcoin's a great buy at this time and with the macro economy that we're looking at. And he's just non-flinching, like you said, and he obviously says he's holding for a hundred years. So, I mean, he must be giving this to his great grandkids at some point. Because I don't think he'll be around. He might be able to afford to be around in a hundred years. Actually, he's probably going <laughs> to yeah. upload his brain to some AI or something. Oh yeah. Uh, you you mentioned the the money printer changing people's minds. Like, how could it not? I was just reading a Lynn Alden uh, article today about inflation, deflation, and U.S. debt and, and all this. And Lynn Alden is just such a good resource. She's 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 someone I trust in the institutional macro space more than anyone else. But I mean, we we talk about these numbers pretty much every episode. But she was you know just alluding to the fact that government debt over GDP is you know gone up twenty to twenty five percent in one year. Like if you're running a company, this is on every single one of their radars. This is unprecedented money printing, and how how could it not be a fundamental concern for anybody that's trying to? maintain productivity and and solvency so in order to tread water the hurdle that you have to jump is 20 to 25 percent right out of the gate like most large companies growing 20 to 25 percent in a year is just not going to happen like you've already made that initial break into you know the first five to ten years of a company's growth is the major portion of it and then after that it's incremental you're not making there's no s p 500 company besides tesla that's growing 20 percent a year and Tesla's just doing it because there's a bunch of clowns buying their stock. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much impossible to keep up with what's going on in, unless you're moving some of your assets into something that is gaining ground faster than the hurdles you're jumping. Um, does Sailor scare you at all? I think you probably know where I'm going with this. We, we've come out of a season. We just went through Elon, Elon 2021. Okay. And what I, what I think he manifests to the Bitcoin community is don't rely on these heroes. Like don't latch onto these specific situations and people and announcements to drive price, get back to the fundamentals, get back to the primary use case and the paradigm shifting freedoms and properties that Bitcoin possesses. Don't latch onto these people. And we, we've kind of, the, yeah. the community is sort of, the Bitcoin maximalist community at least has, has sort of denounced Elon, but there is, everybody still pines over Sailor. And, and I understand why, because he's, he very well could prove long-term to just have more conviction than anyone on planet earth. And he's backing it up with action. But w- like, what if he, <laughs> what if he backed out or what if he changed his mind or what if he... Um, tried to to commandeer and manipulate the space in a way that 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 we didn't feel was good for the protocol. Like he 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 holds a lot of power. I I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I think some of that thread. Uh, I listened to the rest of the uh, Weinstein episode on mm-hmm. what Bitcoin did, and I loved that episode, by the way. And uh, what he said, a lot of it struck home with me. 
and you're on point exactly, which is, you know, you, you can't have these, these people are human. All of them are going to make mistakes. Even sailor I'm sure is going to do or say something stupid. I mean, even just meeting with Elon about that whole mining, um, coalition that they had Mm -hmm. behind closed doors. Like people were perturbed by that for good reason. Like nobody wants, I mean, this is the whole ethos behind this is decentralization and trust don't verify, don't trust. And when we have these idols or even demigods, which sailor has kind of become in this space, we're setting ourselves up for a disappointment at some point. And uh, I hope not, but I also don't think we should, you know, give these people godlike personas because they're just, they're just men like us. And there's Jeff, I mean, there's so many examples of people in the Bitcoin world that have been leaders and then turned into the dark side. There's Jeff Garzik, uh, Mark Andreessen, there's uh, Roger Ver. Um, I could probably name four or five more that for some reason or another, they thought that the right way to go was completely the opposite of the way that Bitcoin ended up going. And they stuck to their guns either because of pride or unwillingness to admit that they were wrong. You know, it's just human nature and we, we really shouldn't put these people on pedestals, like enjoy them for what they are, but they, they could definitely make mistakes and have pitfalls here and there and sailor included. Most definitely. But I think Sailor is the real deal. I do too. Uh, he understands the unstoppable nature of this protocol. He's totally grokked the game theory behind it. And he's sending it, man. And if, he, if, his, if, his, if this trade proves to be as asymmetrical as, to the upside as, as he believes it will, and obviously you and I think it has a good chance uh, of doing the same thing. I mean, MicroStrategy could be one of the largest, most influential companies on planet Earth in a decade or two. He might be the richest guy in the world in 10 years. He could Maybe. be. Man, I don't know, though. The, uh, what are their, the, uh, the twins, what are their names? I forget. The Winklevi? I think they own like two or 300,000 Bitcoins. So I don't think he's going to catch them, but maybe, who knows? There's been the the Winklevi. I, I heard them uh, talk at the, the Bitcoin 2021 conference. They were on a panel with Anthony Pompliano, and it's funny. Like they've they've taken some hits because obviously Gemini's in the altcoin space, like any exchange and lender is, because there's demand for that. And and I was sitting there thinking, these dudes have been around for a long time. I think they got involved in 2012 or 2013. I think it was 13. And they didn't they didn't and take a yeah, small they, position right away like they leveled in. And so in their mind dude, they they it was like 50 million dollars they put in in 2013, something along those lines, like a massive amount of money. Like they're taking some flack and so, yeah, there's some OG bitcoiners giving them some shit. But there's also some some fairly new folks like for example, I heard them on Peter McCormick's uh podcast whatever a couple months ago. And I like Peter, but he was giving them a little shit for their altcoin involvement, this and that, because they're still interested in Ether. Certainly, you and I aren't, aren't interested in Ether. But if you're the Winklevi, you're sitting there going, okay, guys, this is cute. You guys are super passionate Bitcoin maxis. These dudes have been around the block for a long time, and they have a larger position than almost anyone on planet Earth. And so 
they, they always have a good attitude and a grace and a humility behind their tone, but I'm sure there's a, there's a degree to which they're like, I'm sure they're like, fuck you, man. Yeah. If there's anyone that, that is vested in cryptocurrency, it's the Winklevi. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I've never listened to them and been impressed by their intellect. I don't know about you. I, I haven't either. I think they try to dumb things down though. Like I've noticed that when they, when they talk in these public forums, they try to define terms, bring it back to, to square one. Um, but they, yeah, they've never said, there's never been a sentence that's come out of either Winklevoss twin where I'm like, whoa, that's original or that's uh, an angle right. I haven't thought of before. Um, yeah, I've never been uh, super impressed by any of their insights there. But I mean, clearly they've done some crushing work with their investments. So either they're smarter than they put on or they have some really smart people working for them. But uh, either way, kudos to them. How about Jack Dorsey? Oh, dude, I just I was just going to bring up a tweet. So on Jack Dorsey. So Alex Gladstein tweeted this. This is a quote what Dorsey said on stage. That we finally have a currency that can be traded to any single point on the planet is pretty incredible. And what that enables going forward is mind blowing. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that happens. Jack Dorsey. He is he is so all in on decentralized everything. And you could hear it in his tone in the talk that he gave at the Bitcoin 2021 conference. He looks like he's homeless, but he is a very dude. I've listened to so many podcasts with him where I'm just blown away by his story. And not even most of it wasn't about Bitcoin, it was just about running his companies and things. He just means so well for the world in general. He spent months in Africa in 2019. He alluded to this in, in the talk he gave in Miami. And, and you know, he just laid it out there. He's like, Nigeria is a country of 200 million people and they have a 15% inflation rate and they're obsessed with Bitcoin. When you, when you go over there and he's obviously exposed himself to money regimes that are causing tangible harm for people in societies and he sees the tremendous need for, for what you mentioned in that tweet, we have a currency that can be traded to any single point on the planet. I don't want to knight him here either. We just talked about trying to get away from you know coining heroes in this space, but he's interested in far more than just money and profits. Absolutely. I think he's, he's been there, done that, bought that t-shirt, and now he's on to the next phase of his life. And he sees, I mean, he said, this is the most important thing I will work on in my life in that talk as well. Mm -hmm. The most important thing. And he said that basically the mission and purpose behind all of his companies is to advance the cause of Bitcoin, not cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Yes. I know. I read that too. I actually didn't listen to his talk. I read the transcript and I was blown away by that phrase that you just said. And I, about idols in the space, I don't think we should idolize people, but I think we should idolize the actions that they take. Like some of the things like Jack Dorsey, you know, has obviously been a humanitarian. He's him and uh, Jay-Z, I think it was, I don't know if it was $5 million in Bitcoin. Or it might've been 50 Bitcoins, whatever it was. They gave that as a grant to some African city or country in order for them to, I think it was for infrastructure or something, but just incredibly generous human beings doing good for the world. That is what we should idolize, not the people themselves, because they're, you know, everyone's got faults and they're all going to make mistakes, but try to emulate the good that they're doing. 
I think is a good way to look at it. Another tweet, this was from uh, along the Jack Dorsey line. This was from document, uh, at Documenting Bitcoin. Jack Dorsey said as well, we don't need the banks anymore. And he's running square, which is literally squarely set at just demolishing banks from the inside out. You know, it's, it's amazing what they're doing. And Square, I don't know if you've seen what their revenue has been doing in the last couple of years. If you look at their revenue, their revenue has massively increased is the moment they introduced Bitcoin under their platform. They're, I think it's now 50% of their income is from Bitcoin sales, like as an exchange. Like that is the bread and butter at Square. Yeah, it seems like this is happening with every company. But dude, this is where the volatility really makes your butthole pucker. Like when you put yourself in the <laughs> shoes of, of someone running these companies. So to kind of like lay the landscape, I mean, we were at 64,000. Now we're at, what are we at? 33 tonight. I mean, we, we've cut in half. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I said this in the last episode I did. I was like, short term, I don't know whether to tell you we're going to 10 or 100. I mean, I think it's more likely we're going to 100 this year. Yeah, we've had six months where if you stack Bitcoin and you start getting into this space, your valuation goes up and good things happen for you. But if if we if the bull market is over and we're cutting back down to ten, you're gonna be if you're if you were someone that was jumping in at, you know, thirty to sixty K on the way up, like you're gonna be feeling some pain. And so it's like these guys ha- I know someone like Jack Dorsey has a long term perspective, but they they have to be watching these numbers and they have to be concern, concerned even about short and midterm movement because not oh, every company has a, I think that, can afford to just sit around for 10 years and wait. When I say that their revenue is 50% Bitcoin, that's not the what's on their balance sheet. That's from transactions uh, associated, like the, the fees associated with them being a brokerage for Bitcoin. So like when you buy Bitcoin on their platform, you pay a percentage yeah. to Square. That's what 50% of the revenue is turned into. Even, even so, though, you would agree, like if we cut back to 10 and volume on the network diminished and we really ended up in a bear market, that a lot of that would have, would have, at least based on their expectations and what they experienced for a few months in the bull run up, like a lot of that would evaporate in the short midterm. Agreed. Yep. 100% agreed. Thinking about, thinking yeah. about the banks, it makes me go to a, a podcast I really enjoyed this week. It was um, Bitcoin Fundamentals on the Investors Podcast Network. BTC 27 is the episode. It was Preston Pish talking to Will Reeves from Fold. That was a good one, man. I love Fold. I have one. There were a couple nuggets from this thing, and none of it was in brand new, but it hit me in a different way. When Pish gave the example of Basically, he he used Strike and Fold, who have no formal relationship with each other, and he moved money between the two using Lightning invoices. So the Lightning network, on which is a second layer on top of Bitcoin, if you're not familiar with it, that he used that between the two channels, and then and then Will Reeves basically explained, like, folks, this is why the existing payment rails and financial system are going to be flipped completely on their head. Because when yeah. you have a native internet permissionless protocol that allows for immediate interoperability between merchants, the implications are so mind-blowing to digest. You know, and the, the example he gave was he's like, I didn't have to send Jack Mallers at Strike a note or make a phone call or get our teams together to say, like, can you accept my invoices? 
We can just both use the Lightning Network. We don't even know each other. Once those rails are laid down, it's just going to be the lowest cost, easiest solution for new merchants. And it's going to be one of the main catalysts to perpetuate the network effect of Bitcoin. Even if you don't know much about Bitcoin or care about its implications on the world or even think it's a good idea, there's going to be a future where if you're starting a new business, I seriously believe you're going to have to be on the Lightning Network unless you want to just piss money into the wind. You know, a good a good way to bring that down to someone's level that may not understand what you're talking about is you've always had like you have Zelle, I have Cash App. And if I want to send you $10, well, now I, either you have to download Cash App or I have to download Zelle, set up an account, figure it all out, load money from my account. And finally, after like 10 minute process, if the bank approves everything, I can send you the, the $10. Or in this system that we're talking about now with Lightning, Zelle and Cash App don't have to have any idea what the other one's doing because we're using a common network now, not Zelle's specific network and cash apps specific network, the money just happens. So it's totally interoperable between whatever application you're using. That's the bottom line. That's really why it's such a magnificent achievement for for money in general. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be specific to any application. It's a it's it's huge. Such a great job of bringing back what I said. Yeah. So the something like the Lightning Network built on top of Bitcoin allows people to create new monetary technologies and new user experiences. So you mentioned, you know, Zelle and Venmo and Cash App. Those things will look the exact same in the future. The user won't understand how they're communicating with each other, but these merchants aren't going to have to have all this complicated interchange so that they can cooperate. There's just going to be immediate right. interoperability because they're all able to tap into the Lightning Network. Like another even to, to draw an even simpler analogy is let's go back to the the railroad. Like once tracks are laid, once you have businesses that are connected with this transportation rail system, everyone's going to start using the rail system because it's just the easiest way to move information and to cooperate in an economic system, that's what this protocol is going to do for merchants in the future. I couldn't agree more. That is definitely the way it's going to work. And it isn't necessarily going to be Bitcoin. Like this this strike has shown us it can be dollars, it can be euros, it can be any and it can be settled in any currency in the end. But Bitcoin, because it's a bearer asset, it can immediately show up, bring the value, settle immediately, and then transfer into whatever currency it is that you prefer. So, yeah, it's it literally will be the rails for the future. Explain that a little bit more in depth because I think that is a really good point you just made. So, walk me through how you could move USD or euros on the Lightning Network built on top of Bitcoin without even knowing that Bitcoin's involved. Yeah. Um, so, Strike is doing this right now with instant payments around the world. Um, so, say you want to go from US dollars in your bank account to euros to your friend in uh, France, you're going to use Strike. You're going to say, and your bank account is connected to Strike. You send $10 from yourself to your friend in France. But when he gets it in France, he doesn't want dollars, he wants euros. So, what happens is your bank account is debited that $10, it goes to Strike, who turns it into 
Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. However many sats that $10 is worth is immediately sent over to Europe. When it, when it arrives in Europe, that amount of sats, and this is all happening instantaneously in a, a second or two, so the exchange rate doesn't matter. If Bitcoin is moving, even on its most volatile day, it's not moving much in one or two seconds. So that's negligible. And when it gets to Europe, it's going to get converted into euros. So however many euros that amount of Satoshis is worth, it turns into and is then deposited into that person's bank account. Basically, everything is turned into the medium of Bitcoin instantaneously and then reverted back out into whatever other currency is useful for the person on the other end and their preference. So, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, uh, pretty obviously, this is this is like a murder XRP right there. <laughs> yeah. Like this is the entire use case that XRP was, you know, purported to be useful for. And tons for. of other altcoins too. Blown sky high. Right. I think the real important thing to drive home with this is the reason that can all happen instantly is because Bitcoin is uh, a bearer digital asset. So when when you send a check to somebody, the bank has to hold the check for five days because they have to be sure that when the, the check settles, the money is actually transferred on this old SWIFT network, the dinosaur rails. It's going to take five days for it to clear. So that's why it takes five days because it's a credit asset. Nobody trusts you. So nobody's going to just give you the money right off the bat because they don't trust you. Mm. But with Bitcoin, you don't need to trust anybody because it has inherent value immediately because it's already there. It's already settled on the Lightning Network and um, transferred into whatever it is you want. And then those sats are going to go to somebody else probably right afterwards and going to credit someone else's account. The, the discussion of moving money internationally through the rail of lightning on top of Bitcoin that you just expounded on, I think is a good segue into the whole El Salvador dynamic right now. I was waiting to get to this, man. I had like three tweets on it here for you. I'll go to this tweet really quick then. It's on the same line. So question, why would El Salvador even consider making Bitcoin legal tender? Won't this disempower their central bank? Answer, they are already a dollar-based economy and can't print their own currency. So basically, they are in a win-win situation because their currency is non-existent. They have nothing to lose and everything to gain by moving to Bitcoin. So this is really all hearkening back to the game theoretic ideas we keep expounding on is the first movers in these kinds of situations are always the ones with nothing to lose because they can afford to take a risk that nobody else can afford if they have something to lose. So why not take a shot? El Salvador, and I've listened to a lot of Peter McCormick lately. He was recently in El Salvador, and what he has described is some of the towns there, they're already balls deep in Bitcoin. Like That's what they're using as a currency in a lot of the places. And they're using Lightning Network because Bitcoin transactions are probably more money than a lot of those people make in a week. But on Lightning, they can make these instant transactions for almost nothing. And they're running an economy on it right now. They're, they're actually doing it. This isn't a theory anymore. This is actually happening there. And so it does make total sense that a country as impoverished and desperate as El Salvador would take these kinds of actions. And the, I don't know if you saw this either, Dan. There was the president of El Salvador actually tweeted out, and I didn't save that one. I should have. They're, they're going to give beneficial treatment to anyone who's a crypto entrepreneur that wants to move to El Salvador, give them instant citizenship. And oh, and they're not going to tax Bitcoin gains there whatsoever. 
And and no property taxes, by the way, either. I'm, I've been looking at property. Yeah, no capital gains. Dude, to take this back, so I want to throw in a couple disclaimers first off, because I listened to the Jack Mallers talk when he announced this at the Bitcoin conference. And overall, I think this is fascinating and potentially incredible for the Bitcoin protocol. But I have, I, I'm, I'm cautious in a couple regards. So, first of all, there was there was all this hype leading up to the Mallers talk. Like, I don't know if you saw this going on on Twitter, but people were like, "At four fifteen today, everything changes." Yeah, I did. Later this afternoon, when Jack Mallers gets up, strap in. It's going to change forever. And I was like, "Okay, what's going on?" I knew it was going to be something big. And then, I, I love Mallers. Okay, but the talk was just like so emotional. He was sniffling every like seven seconds because he was like crying. He was like, so I was like, the people in El Salvador. And I, I, it was just like, okay, dude, I understand you had an awesome emotional experience in another country. I've had those experiences too. Like I grew up super privileged, super privileged in a, in, in a wealthy suburb. I understand. I've been to the third world and I felt that. And I'm not dismissing it. I'm not downplaying it. But I was kind of like, Let's get to the nuts and bolts here because just because you had an emotional experience with some villagers that don't have a bank account doesn't mean that this is paradigm shifting for the for the next 10 years. Let's let the facts and the game theory speak for themselves. Let's not transpose our own thoughts and hopes on them. And then the second the second thing was like I'm going to be the first to admit. So this Naib Bukeli guy, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. He's the president of El Salvador. I don't know whether this is true or not. I know there's there is some chatter out there that there's a lot of authoritarian leaning to him and that he's maybe not the best dude in the world. And so I, I pulled up this tweet from uh, Gladstein uh, and he said, Bitcoin is all over the TV, radio and news today in that country. People are curious. The leader will continue pushing this because it makes him internationally famous. Few knew him two days ago. There are deep transformative social incentives and network effects at work here. And the tone that Gladstein brought out in this tweet, I totally identify with. I'm interested in the, like he said, the incentives and the network effect at play in El Salvador. I'm not jumping on this crazy El Salvadorian bandwagon of, they're definitely the first domino, this and that. But you hinted on some things that I think are worth exploring. Like This is a dollar-denominated country. And so I think a lot of people in the US, Josh, haven't thought about what this means. So when COVID happens, and all this stimulus money comes out, and all this quantitative easing transpires, and you and I got stimulus checks, they're dollar denominated. They Guess who didn't get any stimulus checks? It's them. They just got shadow taxed, right? They've, they've you just you just hit on something that's very important that I don't think a lot of re- people realize. A lot of the inflation that we would otherwise experience is exported to the third world. Mm. Mm. And that is, I don't think that's an argument at all. That's just a like fact. Everyone that uses yeah. dollars outside of this country experiences, and, and this is the, uh, um, you have to help me with this one. I forget the name of the, uh, when the, uh, the, basically the first people of the trough get the, the benefit the before the effect. inflation actually, that's it, the cancel on effect. So the cancel on effect starts at the top, Wall Street and the politicians generally get the benefits and it trickles down and we get a little less and they get a little less and then the third world gets it right on the chin. Right on the chin. So it makes total sense that they'd be the first people to say, 
well, fuck this. We're going to, we're going to take a chance with that. And I can't comment on this guy's authoritarianism. I mean, it's probably likely that he's not a great guy. I'm, I don't know at all. I got, I just got to look at it more. I don't want to talk out of turn. I don't want to make this guy some hero. Since this happened, there are some, there's some crazy shit going on this week. You have politicians now after this in Brazil, Argentina, Panama, and Paraguay. And before that, you had the governor of Texas all starting to get on board with creating this, this ethos and this environment where, where crypto entrepreneurs, the movement of cryptocurrency, there's just an open arm mentality. And I'm not looking to dismiss this. It's a really, really big deal. Do I think this is the first domino towards sovereign nation state adoption on a broad scale? I can't say that yet. I don't know. It it could be, but we're talking about El Salvador. We're not talking about England or France or the United States. You know, we're in a different stratosphere. And just there's there's all the reason in the world for them to kind of throw the Hail Mary here. I 100% agree with that, but a good example of the same thing happening on in the corporate America here and Michael Saylor at MicroStrategy was the first mover in corporate America as far as we know. And I mean in a meaningful outright way, kind of like El Salvador just did. This has echoes of exactly what he did to me watching what happened with MicroStrategy in late last or mid last year. He was at first an unknown character that I had no clue about. Turned into somebody that, I mean, and Michael Saylor might have done this for some other ulterior, you know, ulterior motives like fame, and it might have there might have been some other things. But MicroStrategy, if you look at that company, it had been a stagnating company for a long, mm. long time. It had a huge bubble in the in the early two thousands during the uh, during the dot com boom. It exploded to like a thousand dollars a share, dropped to like. It was, it was, I mean, they almost went completely bankrupt. Michael Saylor was almost penniless. I mean, and then they've been just basically barely making it for the last 20 years. So Michael Saylor's movement into this is absolutely similar to El Salvador in the fact that this was a Hail Mary from him to say, you know what? This is probably a company that isn't going to make it in the long term unless I make some just drastic change. And here's an opportunity to do something that no company like Apple or Google or anyone that's in a stable position that doesn't have to worry about what's going on in the world so much because they're good. Nobody would make that decision first. The first mover is always someone out of maybe slight desperation, somebody that doesn't have the options to, to play with. I guess what I'm saying is this strikes me as a bit of an echo on a sovereign level as what Michael Saylor did on a corporate level. It is soon, I mean, we're seeing, like you just said, People from so this is another tweet I was gonna say here. This is the guy from oh fuck, it's in Spanish. <laughs> Basically, Marty Bent just uh, sent this out. Paraguay entering hyper Bitcoinization chat room with uh, Carlitos Rejala from Paraguay. I think you I think you nailed that pronunciation. You fucking nailed Did it. Did I say it again? I couldn't do it again. Don't make me. <laughs> but I, I guess uh, really what I'm driving at here is. This uh this feels very similar to like the 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 echoes of what happened just mid last year with Michael Saylor. It's a Hail Mary for sure. I don't I don't discount that at all, but you see these other people just kind of and it's a social it's a human animalistic thing where maybe everybody's thinking it. Everybody in these third to second world countries is thinking medic men. Maybe this is an idea that is worth pursuing, but I don't want to necessarily be the asshole who looks like an idiot when it blows up 
So everyone's looking around the room at each other like, yep. I don't want to be the first guy because I don't want to be the weirdo. I don't want to be out of step. You know, so that first guy that decides, fuck it, I'm just going to do it because we, we don't have a lot of other options at our, at, dis- at our disposal. And then everyone else starts standing up because they saw that there's somebody that's going to do it. And, and the, the other thing is, I think we're really starting to see... We've seen this with like Miami and Wyoming and other things, but El Salvador is also demonstrating the power of of this jurisdictional arbitrage. They're saying there's zero capital gains tax. There's all these other other benefits if you conduct business if and you're innovating with blockchain technology and Bitcoin in our country, and people are going to come, man. I mean, strikes opening. Uh, they're they're moving a lot of resources there. Blockstreams involved. I know there's other companies that are planning on going to El Salvador. Like even some of these other altcoins. I saw a tweet today that like Tron is going to open some <laughs> office in El Salvador. Tron. But you're going to start. You're going to once yeah. you do make these moves, you're going to be a magnet for innovation, and there's going to be money that flows into your country. And and so that's the other play here exactly. with El Salvador. It's not just Bitcoin is legal tender and. And all that, it's that they're trying to suck in businesses and entrepreneurs from around the world that are working on this new technology. And guess what? They're not going to have onerous regulations and red tape on everything. They're going to basically say, do whatever you want because you are, we are literally, and this is exactly like, uh, is it Suarez in Miami? Yeah. He's basically saying, come to Miami because we're not going to handcuff you. We're going to do everything we can to serve you. When is the last time? That a government has served anybody. Yeah, it's dude. This is sovereign individual. The book Sovereign Individual is a great read. I'm actually only halfway through it right now, but I'm loving every minute of it. I'm also reading Robert Breedlove's series. He has what's going to, I think, end up being a 12 part series. I've read the first three parts on sovereignism, which is based off the sovereign individual. But he's talking about how in the digital age, you're going to end up having sovereign nation states subservient to consumers. Once governments are checked with the printer and they can't just endlessly produce and and use right to their to their discretion which we, we both you and I think there's a good probability bitcoin is going to handcuff them delightfully handcuff them in this regard they're going to have to start serving the taxpayers and I think we're starting to see hints of this. Like Bitcoin's already bringing this out. This is part of the motivation behind what El Salvador is doing. Is they're saying we are offering you something. Come to us, right? Not the other way around. Bitcoin's going to put a ball gag in the government's mouth is what it's going to do. And it's going to be hot. I'm turned on by it. Dude, Bitcoin is dom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Totally. Oh, totally yeah. dom. <laughs> right up my alley. Yeah, it doesn't have a safe word for governments. There's no safe word. The other, the other thing that's hilarious, so... I played devil's advocate in the beginning, and I'm going to continue to do that. Time will tell is the phrase I use here. Let's see what happens in El Salvador. Like, for, First of all, the president has said he's going to issue legislation to make it legal tender. So that's it's not been voted on yet, number one. Secondly, legal tender is a huge deal, but there's no Bitcoin on the El Salvadorian balance sheet yet. There probably will be, but we're, we're just it hasn't officially happened yet. But let's assume it does. Let's Let's assume, Josh, that... Bitcoin is accepted as legal tender in El Salvador, maybe another another country that's on the list we just mentioned where politicians are talking about it. And it's it's stacked on a balance sheet of a nation state like El Salvador. Now you're going to have these first world leaders 
like the United States, for example, saying like kind of some eye rolling is going to go down. Like, okay, whatever. This tiny little country, this impoverished country is is using Bitcoin. Who gives a shit? But this is where eventually, I mean, we've named we've named a lot of of areas of the world that are intrigued by Bitcoin. Like I know the the adoption on the network, I think Africa leads in continents in terms of adoption in the year 2020. So we've got tons of African countries. We mentioned Nigeria that are onboarding. We've got Venezuelans that are obsessed with it. We've got Turkey. There's huge influx there. You got El Salvador, the other countries, Paraguay, Panama. Enough of this. Enough of this. Oh, oh, another one. I, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, India backtracked on their banning crypto or banning Bitcoin. Did yeah. you see that? Yep. They've retracted it completely. You get enough of these countries. You could see the U.S. being like, okay, um, there's there's 13 people around the table and someone's like, Bitcoin's bullshit. We all agree, right? <laughs> it's Bitcoin, stupid. But like, just in case, let's just take a hedge position. You guys cool with that? And everybody's kind of fearful to begin with. Like, what's happening here? Yeah, sure. Let's Let's start stacking a little bit. And this is where the thing starts to freaking snowball. This is where, this is the, the whole idea behind the game theory. People start taking hedge positions, all of a sudden 1%. Now, some European country goes 2%, someone else goes 3%, and the whole thing just rolls downhill. And next thing you know, it's out of hand. It's a, it's a run for the exits, man. It's, it's, a, it's a movie theater fire. Everyone's just shuffling for the exit. And pretty soon, people are running and pushing. It's crazy, though, to think about what is going on in El Salvador. I mean, basically what they've said is, fuck the US dollar. That's essentially what they've said. That 70% of their country, I heard, does not have a bank account. 20% of their GDP is remittances from the United States, of which the fees that are uh, exerted on that movement of money is at least 10 plus percent. I think can be 20 or 30%. So Yeah, I think I heard 20. But basically what they're saying is they're calling the US's bluff and they've said, we used your dollar because it was the hardest money that we could functionally find for our economy. And we've just found something harder that's usable. That's the crazy thing. It's not just harder money. It's harder money that they're like, you know what? We can scale this and use this in this country. That's what's almost crazier to me. Yeah, I think I do think that this... If this isn't the linchpin that ends up setting off this domino effect through through Central America, and it is just a one-off, you know, pop, and this is the end of this little bull run we saw here. I mean, that could be, but this feels to me a lot more like this is going to be a nice slow groomer back up to probably where we were in a, in a couple of months and. If this kind of adoption starts happening in these Central American countries and maybe maybe some African countries, it's going to force hands in a way that even this corporate adoption thing we saw in the last six months is going to be a joke. I mean, again, like we've always, like we keep harping on, this is a fixed supply asset, extremely small supply, and we're we're talking about sovereign nations making this thing currencies, legal tender. And what? How many people were in El Salvador? Do you remember? It was only like twenty million or something a like small, that. Small, shocking. It's not a huge number, amount, yeah, compared to what I would have anticipated. But it might be a lot smaller than twenty million. I think their total GDP was like twenty six billion or something like that. Not a lot, but this the snowball has to start somewhere. I think it's probably starting in Central America. 
from the from the seat I'm sitting in. So th- this is the this is how I'm feeling right now, and I, I think you're going to resonate with where I'm going here. So there's two very contrasting juxtaposed realities with Bitcoin right now. On one hand, you've got the price. We're in a huge dip, either the start of a bear or a huge dip. I think we're in a huge dip, but who knows? So there's the one side that's like, wow, this is crazy. Leveraged positions got liquidated. There was way more flimsiness, as I've said before, styrofoam on top of the concrete in the Bitcoin space than I realized. I'm going to be the first to admit that. So in one sense, you're like, whoa, the, the, the price move down is maybe somewhat surprising, I think is a fair characterization. But that, then on the other side, there's all this other shit going on. The, the sovereign nation states getting involved. You've got, you know, we talked about Sailor throwing more of this on his treasury. You got, you're, you're hearing all this stuff about OTC desks, onboarding more and more institutional investors, strong hands buying the dip. And you just realize that this volatility is the Trojan horse. The price cuts off and 96% of the population just thinks, oh, Bitcoin's dead or it's stupid. See, I told you it wasn't going to work. And then in the meantime, all these nuts and bolts are getting tightened down on the foundation of the structure. And then it's just hardened and secured and ready to build upward. And it's able to do that and accomplish a lot of that because everybody thinks it's fake and everybody thinks it's gone away. And I feel like we're seeing that even in the short midterm right now. Like people are writing it off. Oh, see, it's not that big a deal. And then the honey badger's still alive, dude. This thing's a possum. <laughs> it's a cockroach. You can't stomp this thing out, man. It's like the it's like the possum that Ryan killed for me um, when I got off probation as a firefighter. My buddy Ryan killed a possum, and legitimately, <laughs> he thought it was dead. He had killed this possum. He brought it to me. It was in his trunk. Opened up the box. Sure as shit, this thing was still alive. I, I'm dead fucking serious. This is a, this is totally true. What I'm telling you right now. Yes, he's a super weird individual, but that, that's Bitcoin right now. Ryan thinks the possum is dead, but it's alive in his trunk. Weirdos change the world, man. There's no person that ever did anything meaningful and changed everything in the world that wasn't a straight up weirdo. Everything went from Isaac Newton to Steve Jobs to uh, Nikola Tesla. Every one of those guys was a total weirdo. Mm-hmm. You know, we've gone through a lot of these examples of these, these, these big pieces of news. You kind of grow desensitized to them as months go on. Like, oh, whatever. The governor of Texas just said he's signing a bill that's open arms to blockchain and Bitcoin. Like, oh, whatever. We've heard a lot of that. But, dude, these things have big implications, and they add up. And I, it, it, Mark yeah. Yusko has this hashtag that I think it's like, oh, it's probably nothing. But a, a country in the world is making this legal tender. It's probably not a big deal. No, it's a huge freaking deal. You follow James Lop? I don't. Uh, I think he's from. I think he works at Kraken. Uh, he retweeted something that he tweeted in 2017, which was. Within five years, a sovereign country is going to adopt Bitcoin as their legal tender. I mean, if you follow him, he's made some extremely keen observations and predictions that have come to fruition surprisingly uh, accurately. And uh, that's his latest. And he nailed it. Another thought, this, isn't, this doesn't harken back to a tweet, but 
one thing I've been increasingly convicted in watching this price move is just dollar cost average, man. Like if you're if you're desperate to get a position, get to that point, but especially when you see these 50% cutoffs when you thought we were going up to 80 grand in April or whatever. And this thing is just so unpredictable and and for me at least, I'm just speaking from for me personally, I I really am just DCA forever is my is my entry strategy. You you feeling some of that too? Yeah, I've made some mistakes, man. I've I find that I I tend to have a, you know, proclivity to do it at the worst times. So dollar cost average would have done me well as well. I'll I'll do okay. But uh I couldn't agree more with you on that. I uh, I would I think I would have done better if I would have taken the amount of money I've put in Bitcoin over the last 4 or 5 years and dollar cost averaged that in the entire time. I'd be willing to bet that I do I would be doing better than I am right now. Yeah, me too. For yep. sure. I'm the same way. If you're wanting to get invested and you're you want to play the long game, you don't have as big a position as you want. Just DCA, man. Set it and forget it. One thing that is a bit concerning to me. Have you ever heard the saying that good news doesn't uh in in a bear market, good news doesn't bump it and in a bull market, bad news doesn't uh pull it down? The fact that we just saw some pretty big news with a country taking Bitcoin as a legal tender and Bitcoin's price just did a limp dick. That does give me a bit of of caution, to be honest with you. Not saying that I'm selling anything, but I'm a bit concerned for the price action in the next six months because generally when some news like that comes out, and the only real explanation besides that is they had drummed this up to such a degree that I think people were expecting like fucking India to be saying that this is their currency now or something like the way that they drummed it up. So maybe it was a bit of a a letdown that it wasn't such big news as they had uh, purported it to be. But the fact that a country adopted it and it didn't rise significantly after that is a bit of a red flag. I think it's just a good lesson for me. I believe in this thing. I think it's going to play out on a long-term time horizon the incentives, the anti-fragility, the use case for Bitcoin is just just a screaming yes for me. I mean, I just to not invest in this is is crazy in my mind. But in the short midterm, you have to be ready for all directions and all possibilities. And I do think a lot of the Bitcoin community, getting back to Twitter, I mean, I'm following a lot of Bitcoiners on Twitter, and there's just there's this relentless desire to continue to be like, we're still in the bull market. We're still in the bull market. And I think we are. I mean, I read Willie Wu's letter today. I've been following other on-chain analysts. If we are in a bear market, it's completely atypical from previous bear market starts. But this is still a new asset, Josh. This is still nascent. And in this four, this four cycle could look completely different than any cycle we've had before. And, and the point I'm just trying to bring home here is be ready for all scenarios. And that's where I'm saying just dollar cost average, man. If you're dollar cost averaging mm. and we're in a bull market, you're good. You're buying the dip. If you're dollar cost averaging and we're in a bear market, you're good. You're you're going to continue to buy the dip. But to try to predict this short term, you just have to be ready for for all scenarios. And I think to be able to hodl and weather the storm, you're obviously hoping that laser eyes hold true and we're headed to six figures. But guys like you and I have to be ready for the possibility that we're headed into the teens in the short term. 
Yeah, you do. And uh, you either better have the balls to hold on tight and just understand that there's going to be massive volatility and you you better have the ability to support yourself in the meantime and not have gotten yourself in so over your head that you have to sell because then uh, then you're just like every other bonehead who got themselves in to a position they can't afford and got forced out. And then in 10 years, you're going to regret it because it, you know, it, it did a 10x again or, or, or more. Like just be responsible, make sure that you can afford the kind of money that you're putting into it and that you're not trying to live on that money in the next month or, you know, couple of months. Just make sure you're not getting in over your head, really. Because it it's it's really got the tendency to shake you to your core when it when it does imagine it does another fifty percent down from here, which totally could happen. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't even really surprise me to be honest with you. And neither would it be going 100% from here in, in a month. Wouldn't surprise me either. You know, you just, you have to have the conviction to hold on or just sell it and don't buy it because it is going to shake you. What I do find crazy and what makes me incredibly bullish is a couple things. So I heard Kathy Wood, who's a very well-respected primarily ETFs, right? ARK Investment is kind of ETF-centric. Yeah, yeah. And she's got all these people working for her. She does her own research. And, and she's saying, we're seeing capitulation. Like It looks like this thing capitulated down to 29,000. Another way to put this, there's this greed and fear index for Bitcoin. And I don't know exactly how it's calculated, but we're at extreme fear right now. We were at a 10 out of 100. And the Zero is like down to the bottom fear. 100 is extreme greed. We were at a 10. Yeah. So so we're all the way down on the fear greed index. Professional investors who have experience and prowess way outside of Bitcoin are saying, we saw capitulation. And the on-chain analysts are saying, crazy buying opportunity. Akin to the the COVID liquidity crunch. I've heard people say the amount of fear and sell-off and capitulation that we're seeing right now, all the metrics are showing that it's very similar to what happened in March of 2020 when the price of Bitcoin went down into the 3000s. That was a wild ride there. Here's my point. We, we're seeing the same metrics and the same behavior in Bitcoin, and we're at 30-something thousand. The amount of attack that's happened on this protocol, the amount of fear, the amount of sell-off, and we're still in the 30 freaking thousands. You imagine going back five years and telling people like when this thing was at like a thousand dollars, like, you know, in five years, it's going to be at 30,000 and people are going to be absolutely fucking panicking, panicking because they're scared. They're scared that it's going to go down to zero at 30,000. It's just a reminder that looking at charts means nothing. I mean, I was, with, I was hanging out with a buddy a couple months ago and he was like, Bitcoin's way too expensive for me right now. And he's like, I've looked at the charts. Like, it's definitely going to go back, way back down. And and I think we were in, we were at like forty thousand at that point. So I'll I'll buy when it's on sale again. But then once it's quote unquote on sale, you think it's dead, no matter what the price is. And, I, and this is goes back to this was written by VJ Boyaparty in the bullish case for Bitcoin. When an asset is monetizing, cheap and expensive are completely relative. You, you can look back on tweets of people that thought Bitcoin was a ripoff at 300 bucks. And now at, mm-hmm. you know, at $30,000, the thing's 
dead and going to zero. It's all relative. And so, yeah, it's just funny. There were a lot of folks that were like, yeah, I want in, but I'll just buy in at the next dip. But now that we're at the next dip, they're like, no, it's probably, it's not a good investment. It's probably going down. It's, it's done. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people that are like, oh yeah, exactly. It's too expensive right now. I would buy it if it was five grand again. And then you see the number and you're like, hey, buy some, man. It's at five grand and you know they don't want to hear it. They haven't done the research. They don't understand what's going on and they're not comfortable with the volatility. So you have to be zen in the volatility in order to ever hope to capture the upside. You have to be able to ride that bull as Dan has put so well. I mean, you've got to ride this thing, cinch up that strap and hold on. Bitcoin is Darwinian evolution in financial markets. And we think we're predator, Josh. There's certainly a chance we could be prey. <laughs> like we, 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 we think we're the predators. We talk about the greater fools theory. Like maybe certainly we have to be open to the fact that we could be the greater fool. But let's just assume we're the predators, we're the alphas in the room. Yeah, we have the chops. We have the survival to make it through the volatility. And if you don't, if you're the prey, you just got rid of your Bitcoin. And I'm sorry for you, but alphas like Josh and Dan are zooming in and uh, we scared you away from that. We're a couple of hyenas. We scared you away from that carcass and we're going to feed. We're going to get fed. As long as we have any money left to buy it. Need some more overtime shifts. Well, Dan, what do you think? I think... Uh we nailed some pretty great tweets here tonight. It's a good time. I think we're going to have to keep our eye on that El Salvadorian president and make sure he's not a, he's not setting up any concentration camps down there for no coiners. <laughs> yeah, he could be. Yeah, those Tron guys are going to be uh, in, for, in for something. They don't know they're all maxis down there. Yeah, let's, let's be excited about what's going on in some of these countries, but cautious is the way I put it. But some crazy stuff. It's been a big couple weeks. And it's going to be a blast, regardless of which way we go, to watch what goes down for the next six months. As far as I know, as far as I, in my research on history, I mean, this is such a, a new development for something like a private money to start taking hold in countries around the world like this. A money that bootstrapped itself from nothing, from a bunch of internet nerds and, you know, cypherpunks. 12 years later, it's legal tender in a country. And it gives me chills to think about how incredible that is and how you know this, this guy named Satoshi, if he's still walking this earth, has got to be just tickled. It's got to be like this the most incredible feeling for a guy like that to have sent this into the world and watched it grow into this fucking monster. I think in the long term, it's going to topple and humble some of the most deserving people in the world to be humbled. It's going to be a hell of an entertaining thing to watch. Satoshi, if you're listening, which you probably are, he's probably listening, Josh. Thank you, Satoshi. Thank you. This is what I'll, I'll end with through my microphone. We're in the fiat system right now. We've spent some time in previous episodes talking about our progression through different monies and, and ways that base layer money has existed You know, over hundreds and thousands of years. We're in the fiat system. And this is the first country to say, Fuck the fiat system. That's what just happened with El Salvador, if this goes through. Man, I hope they make it go through. And I think they're going to. And it's going to be such an amazing thing to watch unfold. Thank you, Satoshi. And thank you, Dan. Hey, everybody. 
Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.